one that I repeat to some members of my team sometimes is they put their pants on one leg at a time. And by that, I mean, um, sometimes people get intimidated by others, but they forget that those, those others are just normal human beings, just like you and I, and they also put their pants on one leg at a time. Right? They're not superhuman. Welcome back to The Modern Teenager, the podcast where we interview adults to learn and grow from them. Today we have Mr. Mike Levy, and we're super excited to talk to, talk to him. He went to business school with my dad. He's very involved in pharmaceutical companies, from what I understand, and we're super excited to talk to him. So first, we're going to start off with rapid-fire questions that will transition to more in-depth conversation afterwards. But thank you very much for coming on the show today. It means a lot. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. We're super, we're super excited to start this conversation. So, I mean, I'll, I guess I'll just start off with the first question. What was your first job? My first job, I sold hot dogs as part of a, I was the, an attendant at a swimming pool selling hot dogs and snacks. I was about 13 or 14 years old. 13, I think. Can you give us one word to describe yourself? Laid back. I know that's two, but <laughs> nonconformist might be the other one. <laughs> <laughs> Still valid. What is your favorite city in America? Oof, tough. Um, New York, even though I don't live there. What's your greatest strength? Problem solving. Taking complicated things and breaking them down into simpler things. What is something you look for in a friend? Reliability. What's the most courageous thing you've ever done? Uh, I have changed countries, changed jobs, changed professions several times. So change. Rebellion or conformity? Quiet rebellion. What's the most regretful thing you've ever done? Huh. I don't regret much. I don't spend too much time thinking about the past. I like that answer. What do you think is your greatest accomplishment? Oh, there's so many answers to this one. Uh, personal or professional? Any, any accomplishment you think was spectacular? I have pretty awesome kids. <laughs> but um, I think it was, I, I made a switch, actually. I made a switch after high school where I was a pretty terrible student. And I decided to switch things up and be better. And I was. I have been. What's your greatest weakness? I sometimes oversimplify like way oversimplify. It's part of what I do in order to be a good problem solver. So it's like a strength and a weakness at the same time. Yeah, it's a strength because you don't get too mired down or bogged down in the details. It's a weakness because sometimes those details are really important. Awesome. So now we're going to transition into more in-depth analysis, I guess, on your life. And then we're going to ask you to teach us and give us advice on how we should live our lives as a result of your experience. First question I'm going to ask essentially is who are you today? And can you take us through the journey of, of what types of um, things you had to go through to come to where you are today and, and the things that essentially molded you into the person you are right now? That is a far reaching question. So who am I today? Um, I am, so professionally, I am a senior vice president at the Wikipedia. This organization is critical to making sure that 
patients in the U.S., but also patients throughout the world, have access to quality medicines. It's unbelievable how many people in the world do not have access to quality medicines. Um, personally, I'm a father, a husband, um, kind of chill guy. I try not to take myself too seriously while being reasonably confident. And that has evolved over time. Uh, it used to be, as I alluded to earlier, that I was just chill. Um, just to follow up, I was going to say, uh, have you been in this business or have you been following this business for the entirety of your life or have you made switches, which you have alluded to earlier? So uh, if what are those switches and how have they helped you to become who you are today? Yeah, so I've definitely made switches, uh, though some of them were larger than others. So um, in grad school, uh, way back when, I was a biologist that, that studied uh, the parasites of seagulls. So I was a wildlife biologist. And I made the switch from there into a field called bioinformatics, which is computer science applied to biology. Um, when I made that switch, bioinformatics wasn't a named thing. It was, we, it was still called computational biology at the time, uh, and it has evolved. And that brought me closer to the healthcare space, right? Because the Human Genome Project, which I had the honor of being a part of, was all about understanding uh, reading, if you will, the genes and the DNA in, in every one of our cells. And the promise was that it would help medicine. So that brought me closer to the medical field. Um, I then did work after that in a startup that was looking to acquire, aggregate, query, and visualize the results of those queries of data coming from many different types of healthcare fields. So genomics, proteomics, literature, scientific literature, and other, other things, bringing it all that together and helping our pharmaceutical clients. So clients, you know, that were in pharmaceutical companies get a better grasp of all their information and all their data. What I'm describing today probably sounds like old hat, right? Easy. Um, we were doing it in 2001. And um, so that, again, brought me even closer to the medical and the pharmaceutical field because my clients were pharmaceutical companies. Um, and then after business school, so I went to business school after that. And then uh, after business school, I became a management consultant. And the opportunity there was to help managers of any company in any field make really important strategic decisions, things like, should we buy another company? And if so, who? Or should we spin ourselves off into bits and pieces? And if so, what pieces and how much should we charge for them? And lots of things in between those two extremes. And what I found was that though I, 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 I supported lots of different companies, it was the work that I did in the pharmaceutical space and in the regulatory space, the, the medicine regulatory space, that I was most interested in. So I stayed in the pharma space and, and uh, FDA basically space. And then after that, I joined uh, the Pharmaceutical Research and Manufacturers of America, Pharma, uh, which is often referred to as the big pharma lobby. Uh, so obviously still very much in the pharmaceutical space. And now at USP, we, 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 uh, we work in multiple industries, but the, the sort of primary industry we work in is the pharmaceutical industry. 
The other ones we work in are the food industry, actually, because we our standards are used for food ingredients. Uh, also, the dietary supplements industry, our standards are used for dietary supplements. You, in fact, may have seen commercials for particular dietary supplement companies that say we are USP verified. And they use our logo on their on their bottles or as a, as a show of trust that what they claim is in the bottle, let's say they claim it's vitamin C, is actually vitamin C. So yeah, so I've not always been in the pharmaceutical space, but it's been a long time that I've been working in that space and been uh, doing very different jobs with it, or fairly different jobs within that space. Have there been any mentors or father figures um, in your life that have like really helped you to become who you are, like in any field, not just in uh, the pharmaceutical field, but in the uh, wildlife biology field? And if so, like yeah, 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 absolutely. So beyond the obvious ones, like my dad, let's put you know, my father aside. Um, when I was in grad school uh, as a wildlife biologist, um, the, the person I worked for, his name was uh, Dr. Uh, Dan McLaughlin, um, taught me so much, not just about wildlife biology, but so much about just being a good, like, a good person but more importantly, a good staffer, a good researcher. Uh, he taught me about doing good science, proper science. Uh, but he also taught me about managing people, right? Even though I wasn't managing at the time, I was, you know, I was, I was brand new, but I would see the way he managed us and the way he, he interacted with everyone around him. Um, and I'll never forget this. I mean, one thing, one thing he told me, he says, you know, Mike, you can learn something from everyone. And you know, though he was at the top of his field, he never disparaged or treated poorly the people around him, whether they were his, his staff, like his research staff, you know, his administrator, administrative staff, or the school janitor. Like he was just, he, he met everyone at their level and spoke to them at their level. And, and I have uh, really personally taken that to heart and tried to emulate that. That was uh, sort of the first large influence in my life. Another large influence in my life was at the Genome Center and in the startup. Who, um, the Genome Center, the, the head of the bioinformatics department was the same guy who created the startup afterwards. Um, he and I worked very closely together for what amounted to eight years. And uh, I, I learned a tremendous amount about bioinformatics, about computer programming, about algorithm design, you know, and just like all that formal stuff from him, stuff that now, you know, here I am 14, 15 years later, I'm still using and still allows me to be uh, relevant uh, in those fields. Um, and then at McKinsey there, you know, there were a few mentors, but one of them is the current CEO of USP. I mean, he is the reason I'm at USP. It's because he was at McKinsey and I, I looked up to him and I, I worked very well with him learned a lot from him um, and always saw him as somebody that I wanted to, uh, to work with more, but also be, you know, I wanted to have his sort of, to be more like him in terms of the way I worked. And uh, so when the opportunity came up at USP and having him as the CEO is, is awesome. So he's now my boss, which is very cool. Thank you. I really liked your distinction between being a good person and a good employee. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you've learned from those distinctions and how they overlap essentially? Yeah, so, so I, I wouldn't use the word distinction because I actually do think they overlap tremendously, but I think there's a difference between 
you know, trying to do right by your neighbor and trying to help your neighbor and uh, trying to be the best that you can be at your job. Now, as it turns out, I, I have a couple of philosophies at work. One of them is if you want to be successful in your job, then work to make your boss successful. It's, it sounds very simple, but it's actually really, uh, I have found it to be powerful. If you can make your boss successful, then you can ride their success and use that. Um, and often making your boss successful is about collaborating well with the people around you, whether they are your direct peers or other people within the group that you're working with. And so collaborating with them means helping them in some way, right? You help them, they help you, and it's, 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 it's a back and forth. So it actually overlaps tremendously with just helping your neighbor, if I can use that sort of cliche. Just to follow up, I was, I'm very interested to see what motivates your career path specifically. Um, what drove you to do the things you do? Why, do you, why are you so involved in pharmacy specifically? So... I think the, so it's not pharmacy, it's the pharmaceutical space. It's slightly different, but that's okay. Um, I think there, there are a few drivers. Uh, one is it's an area I'm interested in. I think it is, um, I see it as hugely impactful, right? I mean, just look at what's everybody waiting for right now, right today, as we speak, what's everyone waiting for? A vaccine. And if you look at what are the technologies that have greatly influenced humankind over the past however many hundreds of years, there's a few, there's obviously computers and there's even before that agriculture and you know, there's a few technologies that are super important. Medicine is one of those. It's definitely one of those. And then when I say medicine, I mean treatment. Um, so I think it's just an important thing to do in general. Um, also my philosophy through my career that has sort of helped me make all these switches that I've made is I have followed the next interesting thing so i've been open to when an opportunity presents itself that seems interesting to me i've been open to jumping on it using that opportunity even though i don't really know where it's leading me right so when i finished my master's degree as a wildlife biologist and i decided i'm going to move to france and i'm going to go to the pasteur institute and i'm going to study the application of computers uh in biology or in genomics, I had no idea where that was going to go. All I knew is that I was going to move to France for four months and I was going to like learn something new in a language that I spoke, but that I'd never taken any classes in, like that I'd never, uh, well, while I speak French fluently, I, I'd never done any of my education in French. And I was like, forget it. I'll just go and I'll figure it out. And I went and within, you know, it was, let's say four months, a four month course within the first three months, I was 100, 110% in it, working really hard. It was awesome. And then at the end of those three months, the guy who had created the course came to me and said, you know, Mike, I've got a job at the Genome Center. I think you might be good, a good fit for it. Do you want it? And I took it. And I didn't know where I was going to go. But all of a sudden, my three months turned to eight years in, in Paris. And, you know, work on the Human Genome Project, which I consider to be our genera my generation's moon landing and work in a startup, which then gave me the resume boost I needed to get the bit to a good business school, which then got me into McKinsey and so on. So it's just do the next thing that's interesting and, and sort of don't over plan is my philosophy. 
Yeah, I really want to follow up on that. That was so fascinating. You took your opportunities uh, and, and, and you capitalized it and you, wow. I mean, you did some incredible things from my perspective, like working, I, I, I learned about the genome project in biology, right? It's part of history now. And um, it's very impressive that you actually took part in that. And um, I really like this idea of uh, taking the opportunity, uh, the next interesting thing you um, sought. So how, how do you know when it's the next opportunity that is going to change the world, essentially? You don't know what the next thing that's going to change the world is. What you do know is you can be rational about things and you can say, you know, put yourself back. I guess you can't put yourself back, but I will put myself back to 1990, whatever it was, five. And here I am, and I see an opportunity to go to a top-tier place, the Pasteur Institute, to study biology and computers, both of which are obviously important fields, and I can study the intersection of the two. And it's four months, which frankly, in the greater scheme of things, is not a huge investment. What's the downside? Like, why not do it? And so I jumped in and I did that. Then I get there and... Like I said, I worked hard. I worked really hard. <laughs> and I get offered this thing at Genome Center, which is the first institute of its in France, to do work on stuff that I barely understand, but I can tell is super cool and important. What's the downside, right? And every time that, that's sort of the way I thought about it, I, I don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Like, if the next cool and interesting thing is going to be basket weaving for you. Maybe that's okay, but then you better be the best damn basket weaver that there's been, right? You've got to work super hard at it to be an awesome basket weaver. It's not just about your wins, but identifying these opportunities that, well, you may understand them completely and may not understand where they go completely, is you can look at them objectively and say, here are all the things that, are, that make this really a low risk but interesting jump to make. Just a quick follow before I go into my next question. Do you find yourself making another switch uh, as it's low risk and interesting uh, in the future? Or, I mean, do you not know? I have no idea. I really don't know. Um, I, I really like what I do now. Um, and I really like, I, I really like USP. I, I like the people at USP, the US Pharmacopeia, but I like the mission as well. Um, but who knows, right? And maybe my next switch is still within USP, just something very different. Or maybe it's somewhere else. I, I don't know. It's, I literally just, uh, just became uh, the lead of our new group. And so I think there's some time before I make that switch, but who knows. And then um, I know you mentioned this earlier, but you said you were fluent in French, was it, yeah? Yeah. Um, and also, I remember that you mentioned earlier before the recording that you've had a, uh, you, you moved to Canada as well. And I want to just touch on how is that multicultural upbringing um, affected you on what you do today in both your personal life and uh, the business world? So in my personal life, it makes for very interesting dinners. Uh, <laughs> let me start there. I speak French and I speak English. Um, I did all my education in English, but I do speak French fluently. My wife speaks Russian and English. She did all her education in English, but she speaks Russian fluent. I speak only French to my children. She speaks only Russian to our children. And we speak to each other in my world. Which means that when we go to a restaurant, not right now during COVID, but typically, 
um, around the table, there's some French going on, some going on, some English going on, and usually other people looking at us going, the. Also, I really kick out my daughter, who's seven years old, so she's young. She she will start talking to me in French, flip to my wife, speak to her in Russian, flip back to me, back in French, and then my wife and I will say something in English, and my daughter will laugh. Like I just think that's the coolest thing. Um, so if if any of you listening are multicultural, yay, it's awesome. I also think it gives you a very different way of looking at the world and of thinking of the world because. So some of this is actually like scientifically proven, which is that different languages exercise different pathways in the brain and make you think differently. Um, but also um, different languages have different words for things and call up different imagery for things, which means you may have a different perspective on the same thing. So two people looking at it who speak different languages will have a different perspective about the thing they're looking at, whether it's an object or a problem or an issue or whatever. The way this has played out for me is when I was working in France, there would be times when they would explain, you know, what they thought was the next thing to do based on, let's say, some meeting we had with a customer. And I'd be, I, I just wouldn't understand. I wouldn't understand the way, like why that was their conclusion of the next step. And I would say, well, here's what I think we should do. Obviously, we should do this really simple thing. And we'd be like, no, 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 you don't understand. In a, in a French context, you have to be so much more nuanced and refined and careful and whatever. But in telling them my sort of silly North American perspective, um, it would sometimes help them because they would sometimes realize, well, yeah, you know, this is the way we would typically do it. But if we do it slightly differently, maybe we can get there a little faster. So generally, they, they went for finesse and refinement, and I went for speed. <laughs> I really like that, that idea of multiculturalism, and it benefits everybody um, uh, who have different perspectives because it's... I mean, diversity is very good. Diversity of thought. So, so actually, if I can, if I can bounce on that for a second, um, obviously, diversity is very important. And when we think diversity, we usually think things like racial, gender, uh, and so on. But this point that you made, diversity of thought, which is often referred to as cognitive diversity. Um, if you don't know the term, look it up. I mean, cognitive diversity is incredibly important i value it so i now manage a team of you know quite a few uh, folks and the fact that i have a cognitively diverse team is so much more powerful because everybody thinks about things very differently and it's in sort of bringing everybody's own perspective and their own way of looking at a particular problem that you actually get to a better solution i am a strong strong proponent of cognitive diversity because i think it's valuable but also I have benefited from it personally. So I am one of the very few people in the leadership team at USP that does not have a PhD and, or is not a doctor or is not a lawyer. Like I am not a, uh, I don't have one of these professional degrees that you typically associate. And I think that is because there's value in cognitive diversity. I'm coming from things with a very different background than others. You, I, I really totally agree with your point about cognitive, cognitive diversity and its benefits. So my question to you is, how do us teenagers that we're, we're trying to learn, we're trying to grow, we're trying to experiment, do different things, get out of our comfort zone, how do us teenagers use that to our advantage? How do we essentially connect with people that are cognitively different than us? Um, 
how do we, I, I guess like the question is how do I expand my network, our personal networks within um this idea of, I want to meet different people because they have different ideas and that can help me in the long term. I mean, I think some of it you're doing already, right? I think what you're doing with this podcast is an example of you looking to um, uh, be exposed and interact with people of very different backgrounds. And I think that that's, that's really cool. So keep doing that. I think um, reading as silly as that sounds, like reading things that are not just the things that your Google News or whatever is serving up to you, right? So a lot of the current algorithms that sort of cater news feeds for you do not foster cognitive diversity. They, they create an echo chamber, they create a bubble, and you only see things about that, that confirm whatever your particular way of thought is. So I would say act searching for other sources of information that are not to you by the algorithms, unquote the algorithms, um, is a really useful thing to do. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, you're a teenager, which means you're going to get ready to go to college at some point soon. Um, college is actually an incredible time to broaden one's uh, exposure right? because you are going to be in an area with thousands of other people who uh, have very different backgrounds than you do, have grown up differently, are studying different fields than you are. Right? So get out from whatever classes you're in and participate in the whatever, the salsa club or the chess club or the programming club or whatever it is that you're interested in. But that will have people that are very different than you are. You'll have a common interest, but they'll be coming at it from very different perspectives. So exposing yourself to more of those things is a very good thing. As we start to uh, wrap this interview up, I just want to ask other uh, slogans or quotes that you live by that you may want to tell the audience. So one I've already said, actually, which is you can learn something from everyone. Uh, and I, I really, really believe that. Um, one that I repeat to some members of my team sometimes is they put their pants on one leg at a time. And by that, I mean, um, sometimes people get intimidated by others, but they forget that those, those others are just normal human beings, just like you and I. And they also put their pants on one leg at a time. Right? They're not superhuman. And sort of keeping that in mind, which is not to say, you, know, you have to take those two statements together. What I mean is you can learn a lot from these people, um, but there's a difference between being respectful and learning and sort of fearing because you think that there's like so much different than you are. Thank you. That's really positive to end on, honestly. Just be nice, respectful, and learn from everybody and don't be intimidated to reach out to people. I mean, I guess that's kind of what we're doing here. We're not scared of asking all of these magnificent uh, world leaders, honestly, to just come and talk to us, spend some time out of their day to help us grow, uh, invest in the next generation. So, I mean, first of all, I have to thank you very much for coming on the show. Giving us your time. Yeah, your time is super valuable and... I hope we can return the investment in some way, shape, or form eventually. We definitely will. This, this is, I mean, you guys are, you guys are the future of the workforce. You guys are the future of the future leaders of this in every country in this world. So yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you. Yeah, it was an amazing conversation. I, I loved, you have so many good points about um, specifically 
cognitive diversity, taking uh, opportunities, taking risks when you don't really know what the future is going to hold. I think that's all super valuable. And I mean, I, I, I learned a ton. I hope Ben learned a ton as well. I guarantee he did. Uh, for sure. Like the, and also like the more humble lessons in terms of like, no matter who you are, where you come from, always treating everyone uh, with, with like their own individual respect. I, I really appreciate that. that. That's spectacular. Thank you very much for coming on the show today. This was a wonderful experience. <laughs>